You are listening to a message from Sound Words. To find information about our ministry, please visit our website at soundwords.org. You can also download our free app from iTunes or Google Play to access more great sermons. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 together today. So if you turn to Ephesians 5, but I want to read to you from Romans 13 before we get to Ephesians 5. So you might get to Ephesians 5, and then if you would desire, you can turn to Romans 13. I want to just read for you the closing verses of this chapter. It fits with what we've been singing about. It fits with what we are studying in Ephesians, how we are to live in light of what God has done for us in providing salvation in Jesus Christ in identifying us with Christ through faith in that finished work he accomplished on the cross. And as we've divided Ephesians, the first three chapters deal with the doctrinal matters. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, the last three chapters deal with the practical application of that doctrine. In the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters deal with the doctrine. Then chapters 12 to 16 deal with the application in how we are to live. And in verse 11 of Romans 13, the Apostle Paul writes, knowing, do this knowing the time. And doing has to do with the practice and conduct we are to have as believers. Knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And that's basically what Paul is talking about as you come over to Ephesians chapter 5 that we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not going to be strange people in one sense, like we dress differently, we talk differently, in the general flow of events. But in the course of this world, we do dress differently. We are more careful about what we talk about and how we talk about things. So that difference does mark us off. We are in the world, but we are not part of the world any longer. That's what a church is. It's a called out group of people. Called out from the world to belong to God. So we're living in this world. And to that extent, we are part of this world. But we don't belong here any longer. And we're looking forward to the day ultimately of our salvation. And if Paul could write, now our salvation is nearer than when you first believed. It's much nearer 2,000 years later for us as we anticipate the coming of the Lord and the culmination of all things. We are in Ephesians 
chapter 5. And we're just beginning that chapter. Chapter 4 began the transition. The first three chapters we noted, there are 41 commands, imperative verbs given in the book of Ephesians. One of those is in the first three chapters. 40 of those are in the last three chapters. A reminder, these are things we must do in light of what God has done for us. And that's the division. So chapter 4 marked the transition that we moved into. Verses 1 to 16, we are to walk worthy of our calling. Verse 1 said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And those first 16 verses reminded us we have oneness now in Christ. We've been called out from the world and then we are now joined together with other believers. The first 16 verses of chapter 4 of Ephesians. We have diversity in this oneness. It's not we've just been made one blob, all alike. We are different and unique, but we are together one in Christ and are functioning to help one another grow in that relationship in Christ. That was the first 16 verses of chapter 4. Then verses 17 to 32, we are to walk not as the Gentiles. So verse 17, we affirm this together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding. The distinguishing characteristic of a believer from an unbeliever is remarkable. We are no longer the person we used to be. We have been made new in Christ. So we don't walk, we don't live our life the way that the unbelieving Gentile lives. The Gentile here, he's writing to a Gentile church in a Gentile part of the world. There are some Jews, but primarily this is a Gentile church. And he is reminding them of the change that has taken place. You no longer live like you used to live. That's going to put us out of step in a lot of ways with the world around us. And that's not bad. The world will constantly be pointing it out. And we ought to be more like the world. And over time, it seems the church, if we're not careful, begins to think, yes, we ought to be more like the world. That'll make us more effective with the world. But that's not what God says. Well, then we ought to dress different. We ought to talk different. We ought to... No, not necessarily. We use the Amish, for example. There's no benefit in dressing like you dressed in the mid-1800s. That's not what he's talking about. But it does mean we won't be going to the excesses, the extremes that the world does. We'll be living different. We will walk no longer. That word walk means that constant. We're going to pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 5. That constant pattern of our life is now different. And that's not bad. That's good. That's the way God intends. You walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. In the emptiness of their mind, they're darkened in their understanding. So there is now a whole group, the majority, are living totally devoid of God. I didn't say they weren't religious. They may be very religious, but they're darkened in their understanding. They've created their own worship system. It doesn't come out of 
a relationship with God established through faith in Christ, obedient to his word. They use the word often, but they twist it to fit what they want it to say. So verses 17 to 32, we walk, we're called a new man, a new self in verse 22. You lay aside the old self, the old man, the old person you were. You are being made new. It's a present tense. In the realm of your mind. Now you're thinking different. And that thinking different and differently is what makes the difference in your conduct. I don't think the way I used to think. You put on, verse 24, again now in aorist tense, this is something that is settled and done. You've gone from being an old person to a new person. You put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Righteousness, holiness, and truth. Three things that were devoid and totally lacking until you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. The difference between a believer and unbeliever is amazing and remarkable. So we're not concerned to play that down. It is different. Our life, our interests, our motivation is different than the world's. And the more we allow ourselves to be conformed to the world, the less God's work is being evident and manifest in and through us. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30. So we walk in oneness, but we have diversity. We walk in the new man, not the old man. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means the old man, his characteristics are gone because it would grieve the spirit who now indwells every true believer to have us resisting and rebelling against what he would produce in us to produce what the world admires or wants. So we can fit the world and we want to be careful. We don't fit. We don't belong here. This is not our home. It's a temporary residence for us. So we don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That took us back to chapter 1. In verse 13, in him or in whom you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's when the sealing took place. When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who paid in full the penalty for your sin, God identified you with Christ in his death in his burial, and in his resurrection. So you have a new life that you are now living. It's a growth that will take place. We start out immature in that new life, but we are to grow to be more mature. The difference between us and the world and the world's thinking is a growing and more evident. Sometimes it's just the reverse seems like, well, boy, we're all out when we're first saved, but now we've got a better balance. And there is a balance. We have to live day by day. We have to eat, drink, go to work, take care of our family, and so on. But we do it with a new perspective, a new life 
a new way of living. The Spirit, while you're in chapter 1, verse 14, is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. We have the Holy Spirit now molding and shaping us to become more like God. We're going to talk about being an imitator of God in Ephesians chapter 5. That means we're becoming more like him. That means we fit less in the world than we did. And that is a growing thing. The more I grow more like God, the less I fit the pattern of the world and its philosophy and thinking. Come back to Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 1. And we noted at the end of chapter 4, in verses 26 to 32, there are 10 imperatives. That's just the form in Greek of giving a command, something we must do. There's 10 of those imperatives command in verses 26 to 32 of chapter 4. Now you begin chapter 5, and in the first six verses, there are five imperatives. Remember, we have 40 of these commands given by God in chapters 4, 5, and 6. We only had one in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Not that they weren't important, but the focus in the first three chapters was on what God has done for us and how he has molded and shaped and made us in his image now to stand out in the world. So in the first six verses, we have five imperative, five commands given. We'll look at those as we move through here. Therefore, that particular word for therefore appears three times. We don't have it in our New American Standard English Bible. We have it in verse 1 of chapter 4, therefore. We have it in verse 17 of chapter 4. You probably have the word so there. It's really the word therefore. Un, O-U-N, we would carry it over into English. Therefore. Verse 25 of chapter 4 is not. It's said therefore, but it's a different word. It's dio. But the word that we want to focus on is in verse 1 of chapter 4, verse 17 of chapter 4, and verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, therefore, in light of what we have said, the truths of chapters 1, 2, and 3, the doctrine that you have to have fixed in your mind is now the basis for how you are to walk how you must now conduct yourself. You're no longer part of this world. You're living here. You have responsibilities here. We carry out our ministry here. But I don't belong as part of this world system any longer. And I'm looking forward to the day we read about in Romans chapter 13. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So he's continuing to build in chapter 5. Therefore, and it develops, it not only builds on the first three chapters, but it builds as you work through. Chapter 4, verse 1 said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And it reiterated the calling we've received. Chapter 4, verse 17. So, or better, therefore, this I say and affirm together, that you walk no longer now. Your walk is changed. The way you live your life is different. What you live your life for is different. 
The controlling influence in your life is different. You walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. They've got all these ideas, all these thoughts, all these plans, and we want to be careful. We jump on and say, well, we agree more with the conservatives than the liberals, and that's fine, but I don't want to allow that to draw me in and I begin to think as a conservative politically, I need to think conservatively as a Christian. Now, my vote, I have the right to vote. I might vote what I think is more consistent with a biblical pattern, even though they're not coming from Scripture. They are adhering more to Scripture than the other view. But I don't want to get entangled in this world. And think because the unbelieving conservative is like me in many ways, therefore I will identify with him. But then I find, well, whoa, whoa, I don't want to go there. So I just want to be careful about my connections. Therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. He, in verse 22 of chapter 4, has taken us from being the old man, the old person we were, and made us, in verse 24, the new man, the new person. Now we're created in the image of God. We are to walk in that new image. We still may eat the same food, wear the same basic clothes, do a lot of the same basic things. But we are at heart driven and motivated by something totally new, totally different. We are being, and that word be would be better translated become. It's not the normal word for to be, but it's the word to become. That we read it. Therefore, become imitators of God as beloved children. We are to be growing in him. We are to becoming more like him. That's why the end of chapter 4 was, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for everything now. This world, the good things we get to enjoy, that's fine. We live in a country that's been blessed by God, even though it has not known our God. We enjoy those things, fine, but we're not tied here. It doesn't matter what kind of car I drive, what kind of house I live in, what kind of job I have. It soon will be passing away. It will be gone. There's something beyond this life. It's sort of like the child that's living there and everything they have is in the toys they have. But you don't want them to become too absorbed in that because they'll outgrow that. And we're outgrowing it. That's what happens when we become a new man versus the old man. In verses 22 to 24. So that in reference to our former manner of life, we are renewed, being made new in the spirit of the mind, that present tense in verse 23 of chapter 4. So we are to be imitators of God, become imitators of God as beloved children. What does that involve? Well, verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We know that, that word there translated forgiven is really the word grace. We manifest grace to each other, even as God has manifested his grace toward us. Now I have a whole new 
motivation for my life. And even though in some conservative, quote, positions I may be the same, the motivation is different. I am motivated by a desire to be like the God who loved me and redeemed me for himself, who made me new. I am his beloved child, as verse 1 says. Be imitators of God as beloved children. It's amazing. I'm now a child of God. I have gone from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. That's why chapter 4, verse 1, began this whole second half of the letter. I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I am new in Christ. It doesn't mean I have to live in poverty if God has provided excess for me. I can enjoy it, but I don't want to become entangled by it. I don't want it to become the motivation of my life. My life is to be pleasing to him, the one who made me, in anticipation for what he has prepared for me in the future, beyond this present form of existence. As beloved children, back up to chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1 talked about you were dead in your trespasses and sins. See, we're talking about that same kind of radical transformation. The old self, the new self, being an imitator of God, patterning my life after what God would have me be. So in chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. There's our word walk. You formerly lived your life according to the desires of this world trespasses and sins according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience we're going to pick that up in chapter 5 the end of verse 6 we're going to talk about the sons of disobedience same expression we have at the last verse 2 of Ephesians 2 the sons of disobedience. We're characterized by disobedience. Even the most conservative political person who is not a believer in Jesus Christ is a son of disobedience, is motivated by disobedience to God. All certain things, he functions more conformed to God, but basically he's coming from selfish, self-driven desires and objectives. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. We all lived there. We were all like that. So I'm stressing this, I realize, but I'm concerned. We sort of blend and get to a point, well, they're not Christians, but they're not really as bad as. The Bible only makes two kinds of people, the believer and the unbeliever. That's it. So we all formally lived. Oh no, I was more, well, you have the Jews who had the Old Testament. That they have departed from the living God. We see in the opening chapters of Romans, particularly beginning in chapter two, that the Jews are just like the Gentiles. When you get to the root of what is motivating them, 
of what is driving them. We all formerly lived, verse 3 says, in the lust of the flesh, desiring the desires of the flesh, the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So there's no difference before salvation and after. Before salvation, I was just like the rest. Oh, no, I was more conservative and we were more biblical. We just weren't believers. That's not the decision the scripture makes. We were by nature what we were in our very being, the sons of disobedience, children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That's the difference between the old man and the new man in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24. It's the dramatic making new in Christ. You can attend this church till the day you die and be by nature a children of wrath, a child of wrath. Because not where you attend the church, it's whether you believe the message of the truth of the word of God. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, verse 5, He made us alive together with Christ. And then we have that great statement, by grace you have been saved. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. Not as a result of works. It's a gift of God. We are his workmanship. And now we should walk in these new works. Come back to Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk in love. We are beloved children. We are the objects of his love. We just read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. He loved us. He had his son die for us so that we could be made new on the inside by faith in him so that now we could live these new lives conforming to the character of the God who saved us, not continue the old pattern, just we got heaven and hell settled, now we just get on with our life. That's not saving faith. Saving faith makes you new. You're not the same old person. Back to chapter 4, verse 22. You lay aside the old man, which is being corrupted. I mean, the old man, you've been made new. Verse 24. And so you're to have that as your dress, your conformity. Well, maybe I lost my job because of my faith in Christ. Well, you have to trust the Lord with your new life to give you something to put enough food on. Well, I can't keep my car. I can't keep my house. And then it becomes part of the other believer's responsibility who do have more than they need to get by on to help. Now, again, this is not, well, then the communists have the right idea and we should have communal living. No, it doesn't go to that. But it does keep a balance that puts us out of the world. I realize some people may use their Christianity as a way and they lose their job because of their own foolishness. We ought to be better workers, not worse workers. We had to be doing everything we can within the framework of being faithful to God. We'll come a little bit more into this as we move along. We walk in love. 
Verse 32 of chapter 4, transition to this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And there's that word grace. Being gracious to one another, just as God in Christ has been gracious to you. Forgiveness is part of that grace. But that grace encompasses everything. I live in the realm of God's grace. I entered into it. I was forgiven my sins, but every day is a day of his grace. That's the way it is with us. Forgiveness is included, but it's broader than just the forgiveness of sin. It's living a life now of grace. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It was that which was pleasing to God. Walk in love. Well, yeah, I think I love. I compare, look at uh, this person. Wait, wait, no, no. Walk in love as Christ loved you. And we could go back to chapter 2. We won't. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When you formerly walked according to the course of this world. But God being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Made us alive. So now I'm not comparing myself with others. I am comparing myself with God. What he has done for me. How he has operated on my behalf. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And what did he do? He gave himself up as an offering, as a sacrifice to God. That was pleasing to God. What did he have? We don't find that it took a lot to divide up his possessions. And those who were his followers, we don't know what they had. They spoke as though they were happy to have nothing in this earth's possessions. Again, it's not, well, the first thing I have to do is get rid of everything I have and get a very minimal rental and drive a clunker and take the bus and, well, you know, it depends. If it's what God's provided for you, be happy with that knowing I have all eternity to enjoy all he has prepared for me. And if he has given me, i got to be careful I don't become attached to it. That's why we have this instruction of verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. What did he have to do? He had his son die for me. When I was walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, he intervened on my behalf by grace. Through faith, you have been saved. So walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. There's the standard. It's not, well, I'm doing more than other people are. You have to have the standard that God sends. It's Christ. As Christ loved you, he gave himself up. So self-indulgence is what he is getting at here. It's not, well, one believer has more than another believer, so he ought to give away what he has. No, that communal is a distortion of what God has provided. But there are certain things that will not be entailed in this. Immorality, impurity, greed. So there's three things he mentions. Immorality, impurity, greed. They must not be named among you as, as proper among the saints. 
immorality, pornea, all kinds of immorality. I know it's becoming more and more acceptable to have same-sex weddings, same-sex, and you watch TV and the programs that used to be rather bland. Now they have two women or two men. That's all included in immorality. Sex outside of a marriage relationship is the word immorality, pornea, here that's used. That's contrary. So people who call themselves Christians may indulge that way, but immorality does not characterize one who's been made new in Christ or any impurity. Again, it's mentioned up in verse 19, when he, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, when they said, they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of impurity with greediness. These last two words are right there. Impurity with greediness. But impurity, it could be sexual impurity. It could be more broadly, along with greed. In other words, they're selfish. That's what we were. We were selfish before God intervened in our lives in grace. It was all about us. Now it's all about him, pleasing him. So immorality, impurity, or greed must not even be named among you. I mean, it's not an issue. We are the holy ones of God. We live as God. Well, nobody lives that way. I mean, uh, let's be honest. That's what God sets down as the standard for him that are new. We live now for others. It is proper among saints. That's the word that we get translated saint. It's a holy one. It's one set apart by God for himself. That's the standard now. There must, verse 4, be no silliness, no filthiness, no silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Again, three things, silly talk, coarse jesting, filthiness. Those are things that are not fitting for a believer. They include sexual activity, but they're broader than that. In other words, he's just saying, and it's like you can go through the New Testament and pick out different passages where it talks about the heart in Mark chapter 7, and then we come into Paul's writings and all the different times he talks about different sins, it's just sin in its entirety. So sin, characterized by sins, are not to be characteristic of us as believers. We are to live a new life, a new kind of life. We are to walk in love. Come back to chapter 5, verse 2. We walk in love. So now we see what it means. We walk in love. Christ loved you, gave himself up for you as an offering, a sacrifice, that which was fragrant to God. This is what pleases God. We walk in love. That means we don't do things which are selfish, which all sins are ultimately. Why do people become immoral? It gives me pleasure. How do they justify it? I enjoy it. That's what the appeal of sin is for all of us. Even as believers, that's what attracts us to sin. That's why he has to write about it. We've been made new, but there's still the old person there that's not been totally uh, done away with. I have to remind myself, I'm not what I used to be. 
There may be some desires that come up, but verses 3 and 4 make clear there's no place for those in the life of one who's truly a believer. Now, we'll get to this. A believer can commit these things, but he can't live there. There is a difference. I'm not the person I used to be. I haven't lived a perfect life since God made me new in Christ many years ago. But I couldn't live where I was either. And progressively, sin becomes more evident and I become more and more conformed. It's the difference between immaturity and maturity. We grow and become more like Christ. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, remember, walk in love. Well, sin is selfish, self-oriented. It's what I want to do. It's what pleases me. It's what gives me pleasure. But if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And you could have the gift of prophecy. You know all mysteries. You have all faith. But if I do not have love, the end of verse 2, I am nothing. He doesn't go into, how could you have these other gifts or abilities? He doesn't go into that. If you did and you do it without love, they're nothing. They are fake. They are counterfeit. If I give my possessions to feed the poor, I surrender my body to be burned, I do not have love. It profits me nothing. So this is the distinction I talked about earlier and then with maybe some conservative views, some liberal views as we divide them up. I want to be careful. You can have that, but you don't have the love that only the love that God produces in a life. This is a self-sacrificing, self-giving love. Give my all my possessions to feed the poor. I surrender my body to be burned. Do not have love. It profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in the righteousness, rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Oh, I don't know if I could live that way. No, that's the thing. I can't. It takes the new life that God produces in me that conforms to his character. And now I live like he would have me live. So verse 13 summarizes this. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That self-sacrificing, I do it because it is best for the other person. I do it because I want to be pleasing in his sight. Come over to Galatians on your way back just before you get to Ephesians. is the book of Galatians. Go to chapter 5, and then we'll pick up with chapter 2. Chapter 5, verse 13. You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. Down for time, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and the first fruit is love. And the other fruit that follow on. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Now we have our new life by the Spirit of God. Now let's live that life. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, and so on. And Christ is the pattern of this love. 
It is as we love as Christ loved us. So, oh, that might give me a certain pleasure to indulge in certain sins. And for a time it would, but I can't live there. The pleasure is nullified. The unbeliever lives there and wants more, and it's self-destructive. The believer, he may indulge it. It's like a David who did indulge the flesh, but he couldn't live there. It made him miserable. And he finally has to acknowledge to God the misery. We have that recorded in the Psalms. It's the distinction that is being drawn. Come back to, I'm trying to eliminate some of the verses. Come back to John 13, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus talking to his disciples on this last night with them. In verse 34 of John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That self-sacrificing love over in chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. doesn't matter what the other person is doing. How many times over the years have I had people come? Yeah, but you know what? So it doesn't matter. Let's focus on me. And each one of us have to focus there. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Well, what do you compare? Christ? I mean, God loved us, had his only begotten son come and die to pay the penalty for our sin. Christ willingly took upon himself our sin. And the terrible agony that that brought, just as I have loved you. So the individuality of this, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And I'm going to exemplify that for you. I'm going to give my life for you so that you can have new life in me and through faith in me. That's it. So it becomes intensely personal and yet it involves everyone else who is a believer. That was what he talked about when he talked about spiritual gifts. We are individually, each and every one of us, solely accountable to God. And yet we are joined with one another in such a way that we grow together. Come back to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 4. Verse 4 ended, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Again, it's the personal thing. I can't control what you do, but I can control what I do. And thank God for being given me the grace and the strength as I draw upon what he provides to be what he wants me to be, regardless of what you are doing. Now, that doesn't mean there's not responsibility, and that's what we're reading about. And as we gather together as believers, there is a mutuality involved. But it starts out with me individually realizing I want to be what God wants me to be. If no one else is, I want to be. But I realize he's put me together with other believers. So I give thanks to God for what he's done for me in Christ and then the body he's given me to grow with. For you know this with certainty. This is something sure and fixed. 
No immoral, impure, or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And this gets to what I talked about earlier. I said we would get to. If this is the characteristic of your life, immoral, impure, covetous, which is just idolatry, you have no relationship with God. You have no future with him. The future that we have is an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The only place that that particular form of expression is used, the inheritance of Christ and God, putting them together in that way. And that's what the coming kingdom is. It's a kingdom ruled by God. And we entered into it by faith. And we'll be part of it because of the faith we have in Christ. No immoral, impure, covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Period. Now, that doesn't mean that a believer can't commit a sin. One commentator who's very good puts it this way. A believer may be guilty of one or more of these sins, but he must not be characterized by them. And I thought that was very helpful. David sinned, but he couldn't live there. Peter sinned, but he couldn't live there. When you can live with that sin and live in that sin, then you need to really say, God, I need the new life that you give. The believer cannot live there. He can spend some time there. David spent months there. He wasn't even sensitive to it when the prophet came and confronted him. Oh, whoever did that ought to really be punished. And you're the man. Oh, I am the man. There is awareness. You just can't go on. There are people that, yeah, they, I, I realize they've got the terminology. They've got the language down. They profess faith in Christ. But they're comfortable living as an immoral or an impure or a covetous person. It's not true. You've deluded yourself. That's one of the things that the, the devil, he used scripture. Remember when he tempted Christ? He used scripture. He's capable. He knows the scripture. He can use the scripture in an abusive way. None of them have who practice these sins will have any part in the kingdom. You have no part in heaven. You have no part in the coming kingdom. And those two will come the same ultimately in Revelation 21 and 22. When heaven comes to the new earth, then they become one. You have no part in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Key, don't be deceived by empty words just by talking. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. We'll stop there. But you can't live with them. You can't make that your pattern of life. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God becomes on, comes upon the sons of disobedience. We're back to chapter 2, verse 2. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. 
Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 6, upon the sons of disobedience. At root, no matter what kind of, quote, we would say in our day, conservative papering you put over it, at the root there is disobedience. Now, I'm not saying there are not some believers that are mixed in there. And I realize Paul supported the governing authorities. We are instructed to. And believers that are there, but they have to be very careful that they don't get entangled in a wrong way with the things of this world. Because at root, the difference is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone? Not like every Protestant and every Catholic. If you said, have you placed, of course I placed my faith in Christ. I'm a, I was a Methodist. My family were Methodists. My parents were Methodists, but they weren't saved people. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Presbyterian. Well, no, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been made new on the inside? The bulk of those who claim to be Protestant, Catholic, variations, have no knowledge. They have been deceived with empty words. And because of these kind of activities, you're not coming from a desire to please God, honor him, and obey him, whatever the cost in this life. Then I need to back up and say, am I truly a child of God? I cannot be partaker with them. So he's writing to believers because we as believers adjust and there's always the pressure from the world to adjust. And so we would like to adjust And he warns them, therefore do not be partakers with them. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You have to decide, where am I? Oh, I know, I know, but I just don't agree with. Let's back up. Do you agree with God or don't you? Well, it's a matter of interpretation. No, it's not. It's a matter of what God says. It's clear. There are differences of interpretation among believers, but the basic foundational things are not up for disagreement. You cannot say, well, I place my faith in Christ, plus I do all these other things, and you're like the Jews. We're not going back because Paul's dealing with the Gentile church, but you can read Romans chapter 2, and you see the Jews are no closer to God than the Gentiles even though they had the word of God and prided themselves in having the word of God and we conform externally in a lot of ways to the word of God, when it comes down to it, it was just a matter of their works, not of God changing them and then living out. So, our walk. We are to walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. That was pleasing to God. That means things that might be temporal and temporarily pleasing and self-satisfying, I put those aside. I want to please God. I want to do what is blessed for you. I want to, and we keep adding to it, but don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And if you can partake of them, be comfortable with them, what can I say? 
you're one of the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers of them. I want to be careful here. Well, I'm trying my best to be. First, have I really trusted Christ? I really place my faith in him. He's the one who can cleanse me, save me, make me new on the inside. Lord, I want to be what you want me to be, and that comes from within. Then I can fit with other believers, and I can overlook shortcomings and failures and help them through those because none of us are perfected yet. But we're growing together. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness. Now you're children of light. Walk as children of light. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the riches of your word. It's simplicity. It's clarity. Lord, it is a word of truth. It is a word to be understood. It is a word to be obeyed. We are to walk as those who have been made new. It becomes part of our inner being to conform to the character of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to one another, willing to help one another, encourage one another, lift one another up when we stumble, when we fall. But remember, we cannot live in the fallen state. We cannot live and endure and enjoy these sins and be made new by you. Thank you for making us new in Christ. Thank you for renewing our mind and the ongoing process that is. Thank you for the hope and the blessings that we have in the inheritance that you've promised to all those who are in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sound Words, a ministry of Indian Hills Community Church. Make sure to download our app from iTunes or Google Play for more messages like the one you just heard. If you would like to contact us, please email soundwords at ihcc.org or give us a call at 402-483-4541.